When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to a Market Down Monday on Buckeye Talk. Doug Lannery stays the Barrett Stephen Means, who will lead Ohio State in sacks in 2023. This is not the same thing as who will be their best defensive lineman. It's not even necessarily the same thing as who will be their best pass rusher. But we are in this situation, this era, Nathan, where it's been a little weird. The past couple of years. Last year, Jack Sawyer and Mike Hall Jr. tied for the Ohio State lead with four and a half sacks each. In 2021, Haskell Garrett led them with 5.5. 2020 was short. It was weird. Jonathan Cooper led them with 3.5. But this is before that. 2019, Chase Young, 16 and a half, the school record. 2018, Young, 10 and a half. 2017, Nick Bosa, 8 and a half. 2016 and 2015, Tyquan Lewis, 8 each year. 2014, Joey Bosa, 13 and a half. Noah Spence, 8 in 2013. So in the seven years between 2013 and 2019, the team leader had no fewer than 8 in any of those years. And three times the leader was in double figures. Since then, well, throughout 2020, but the leader 5.5 and 4.5. Nathan, isn't that low? Like, let's start there. Like, should Ohio State sack leader have more than four and a half or five and a half sacks? So what I think some other data that we look like will look at will tell you that collectively in a lot of these years, even last year, for example, Ohio State's sack rate as a team was not that bad. But clearly what they've been missing has been a next level individual edge rusher. I don't think you can possibly argue against that. There's been little flashes of it. The the one big JT to a Malowau game, the couple of games that, that uh, Tyreek Smith had in 2021 where he was really great, but it hasn't been a sustained thing through a season. And this sort of crystallized for me a little bit uh, very recently when we were recording a retalkables for the 2016 Ohio State Michigan game and looking at that defensive front and how many just talented NFL bound guys were on that defensive line. And in theory, Ohio state keeps doing that, but like, where's the guy that really scares you? I remember a couple of plays that Nick Bosa as a true freshman made in that game where you're like, okay, you feel that. Like, are you feeling anybody off of Ohio state's defensive line enough? And I think it's a fair conversation when you're talking about 
the margins that Ohio State wants to play at, the level that Ohio State wants to play at, that it's fair to point out that even if collectively it's a pretty good pass rush, is it an elite pass rush? And more importantly, are you developing, finding and then developing that guy who can really wreak havoc? Because we've seen it be such an element of successful Ohio State teams. So this is not the podcast. Is their pass rush pretty good? That's not the podcast. The past, the podcast is who will lead them in sacks. But we're going to wind up talking about things like, is their pass rush pretty good? Because it's so weird, Stephen. It's almost impossible because, and then we blame Chase Young. They had 54 sacks in 2019 to lead the nation. Then in 2021 and 2022, they're like in the mid-30s nationally with where they rank. They had 36 sacks in 2021, and I believe they had 34 sacks last year. But when you have a season, Stephen, with 54 sacks, it throws off your view of what it's supposed to be. And I still think that's affecting us. It's affecting the fan base when we think of, ah, pass rush, man, what's up? We can't expect 54 but I don't know what the right number is. It feels like it's something below 54, but higher than the mid-30s. I think every year leading up to 2019 is reasonable. The problem, Chase is this Chase Young's fault. He had that year, and then it fell off a cliff. It wasn't a gradual descent where you could blame it on, okay, over time, the talent in the room maybe fell off a little bit. And so that's why, you know, the last once that the last of the 2019 roster was gone, that's why it got so bad as it gotten. No, it was like immediately he left and so did the sacks. And that doesn't make much sense. And as much as we want to put on a defensive line, because this is what we're talking about for most of the time, it's it's hard because the sacks went out the window. So did the coverage ability. And it's like a thing of like what came first, the chicken or the egg, when you're talking about the front end and the back end working together, would Ohio State have had five more sacks? a year, the last couple of years, if they had someone at Jeff Okuda's level in the back end, also helping to also, you know, making a quarterback hold the ball an extra half a second, or is it just Chase Young's that awesome? Because that's the thing we've all, yes, we've seen the Chase Young's, the Nick Bosa's, the Joey Bosa's and into the next level, Tyquan Lewis, Jalen Holmes, Sam Hubbard, but paired with each of those guys is a Jeff Okuda, a Marshawn Lattimore, a Bradley Roby, a Denzel Ward, and then to the next level, Damon Arnett, Gary on Conley. So it's 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 hard because both of those things went out the window together. So you can't really say which has had more of an impact on why the the sheer numbers are down, even if the sack rate is the exact same. Yeah, I I think. That's right. And that's why when we have these conversations, it's not only about the talent and skill of the defensive line. It's about can the defense get sacks? Can other people help the best individual pass rusher get home to the quarterback more often? We've had a lot of discussions over the past couple of years about getting home. I asked this of the texters. Does Ohio State need to get more sacks this season than it has the last few years? The Buckeyes had 34 last year and 36 in 2021 compared to 54 in 2019. Possibilities are no. The pass rush and sack totals the past two years are enough for them to win. Yes, the Buckeyes absolutely need more sacks to be a national title team. Or the pass rush needs to be better, but constant pressure matters, not sacks. Like, I'm a I'm a pass rush guy, but I'm a... 
I think sacks get overrated as a stat. I'm almost opting out of the sack question kind of thing. And I will say that nobody thinks the last two years are good enough. Literally 0%. 75%, yes, the Buckeyes need more sacks. 25%, it's really more about pressure and not sack numbers. Nathan, I would vote more sacks. Yes, I understand other things. I understand whatever. I vote more sacks. Would you vote more sacks, Nathan? I would vote more sacks. Now, there are some nerdy things we can get into as far as the fact that last year's pass rush was actually, as a team, better the best it's been since 2019, and it didn't show up. I wrote a thing midseason last year. It, it, they were on this pace to have this really low sack total. It's because they weren't facing any passes. Like <laughs> You have to have a pass attempt in order to have a sack. It's a chicken before the egg thing that's happening there. So you have to look at pass rush. But it kind of goes to what I was saying before, that we know it when we see it. I think you know it when you feel it, too. You feel it from the press box. You feel it through your television that there is an intimidation factor and there is a, a, a violence factor. I don't know how else to say it that is is missing. Um, it can't just be. And, and I agree with, with Stephen, though, that I think that it, it, they do need help. It has to be a, a progression from the front and it has to be a progression from the back. It's not coincidental that these spikes happen in 2019 that blows the really ruins the curve on when you're looking at sack rate for Ohio state in the playoff era, because it was chase young. And it was also the best collection of secondary talent they've had since then. And a, a defensive coordinator who was a secondary guy. And I think coached those guys up to another level. I think those things worked in concert that year to come to come up with a special year. But I think that what they did last year was good, but it wasn't elite. And Ohio State and everything it does wants to be elite. And it's got to get better. Uh, it's got to get home more often to be elite. Would you vote more sacks, Stephen? Easily. <laughs> Second and 17 really helps the defense out. If every third and seven, an uh, offensive coordinator is scrambling on what to call because he has to worry about getting sacked, that only helps this defense. I think that the, the whole are sacks as a stat overrated is a conversation that we can only be having with Ohio state. If they were like 10th in the country last year, if they were where USC was literally, they had 40 sacks last year, but we don't know USC for their defense. Then we could say, okay, lack of sack isn't the issue when you're middle of the road in the, in, the, in your own conference and getting sacks. That is the issue, regardless of whether you not, not you think the actual stat is overrated or not. So Nathan, it, it is hard for me. I can't, we're going to get into your nerdy numbers here in a second. <laughs> they just have lists of sacks. They just put they put names in a list and they say, look at all the sack people. Last year, the Ohio State leader in sacks, again, Mike Call and Jack Sawyer, they tied for 13th in the Big Ten. So there were 12 guys that had five sacks or more in the Big Ten, led by Nick Herbig of Wisconsin with 11. So like you said, Nathan, the standard at Ohio State is like, hey, let's look at the sack list. Oh, nobody from Ohio State is higher than 13th. Okay. I don't know. That seems kind of weird. The year before, Haskell Garrett had five and a half. That was tied for 13th. So there's like a bunch of dudes, another 12 guys ahead of him. Aiden Hutchinson had 14. David Ajabo had 11. Arnold Abicati at Penn State had nine and a half. Nick Herbig again had nine. Leo Chanel at Wisconsin had eight. Boy, Maffe at Minnesota had seven. Lucas Van Ness, who winds up a first-round pick, he had seven in 2021 at Iowa, and he had six at uh, Iowa last year. I don't know. Does that matter? Is that is that a fair thing to look at? Or, or 
are teams throwing more against those teams? Because part of the other thing is like I know, so we'll get to your there. Maybe Ohio State's not facing passing teams as much, but they also get leads and then force teams to pass, and then can't they tee off in the in the pass rush a little bit? I'm just surprised. Like I like as as much as the nerdy numbers, it, it, we don't mean to say nerdy. The more sophisticated stats will tell us some stuff. I'm still just surprised. How can nobody on this team have more than five sacks? I'm still just surprised. No, I, I, again, I think that is a, a very fair way to look at this. I mean, so here, I want to look at a couple numbers real quick. So 2021, this team had a sack rate, 7.24%, and they had 36 sacks compared to last year's 34. But remember that, like, what, like nine of those came against Akron or whatever? Like, so right there, mm-hmm. that can tell you that when you're looking over a course of a season, one season, small sample size, sack numbers can get skewed. Last year, even though they had two fewer sacks, same number of games, their sack rate was actually 8.63%. That's 1.4% higher. It's a huge jump. They were, as a team, significantly better at getting sacks last year than they were in 2021, even though they had fewer sacks as a team. I know that is a weird thing here. And it's actually a better number than their average year during the playoff era, which is 8.31%. If you take out 2019, which I said before, ruins a curve that's actually only 7.85%. So you're talking about getting close to like two sacks per game higher than their average year during during the playoff era. So again, I think last year would be considered a successful pass rush year for Ohio State, even compared to its own standard. But that's because it has had a couple of years, these last couple of years. Did I just say that? <laughs> it, the past couple of years it has fallen off of its own standard. It's dragged that number down a little bit. And we just, again, you haven't seen, you know, someone like Zach Harrison, we've talked a billion times, very strong football player overall, deserving third round pick of the Atlanta Falcons, not an elite pass rusher. JT Tumaloao and Jack Sawyer, uh, very good football players, have not shown themselves to be elite pass rushers yet. Like, we know what it is. We've seen it at Ohio State. Uh and not just Chase Young. There's a, and not just even the Bosa brothers. There have been other guys sprinkled in there that have been excellent at this, and it's not showing up statistically for Ohio State at an elite level from individual guys the way it has other players. So I think it's a fair thing to say that just because this team, again, is performing at a very good rate overall from a sack rate perspective, that there is something else that a defense gets when an offense has to adjust to a guy who is killing them. And we've seen, uh, we, I will say we haven't, I guess, necessarily seen a lot of teams do it to Ohio State, but we have. We saw it in 2021. Like when when Aiden Hutchinson, for the most part, and David Ajabo helping him, but when Hutchinson alone was just doing what he did against Ohio State that day, it changed the complexion of everything. It changed the complexion of a rivalry. And if Ohio State has to go find an answer to that on defense, I think it has to, unlock something in one of these guys and start unleashing them. I mean, I guess at least one of these guys, maybe more and start unleashing them on offenses. And I don't know that it's, it's something schematically that's held them back. I think it's just a developmental thing. And now we've got a couple guys going into their third year and maybe it's their time. Not, and this may be a little bit of a cop answer, but how much of this is Ohio state's reputation over a decade now playing against itself where, I mean, teams are not – There's a, you only have so many years where teams are just going to sit back there and let you sack them. And not saying that they were letting Chase and Nick and Joy sack them, but after a while you do adjust to that. And it does still feel like, especially around the Big Ten, there is this reverence for the defensive line development at Ohio State in a way that if you're an offensive coordinator, 
you're probably getting the ball out that much quicker than you would on any other, all the 11 other weeks that you play football because history has showed you for the past 10 years that if Larry Johnson is there, you can't sit back there and just, you know, play deep ball, deep ball, deep ball. It's got to be quick stuff because you can't give these guys the opportunity. So when you mix that with maybe these guys aren't Chase Young level or even yet when you're talking about JT and Jack because they are still just coming into their third year, you combine all those things of the the overall superstar defensive end has been lacking, but also the opportunity for the guy right under the overall superstar to be at least a star hasn't been there as well because we mentioned the Boses. With Sam Hubbard, I would say that Zach Harrison is the same level of defensive end as Sam Hubbard and Jalen Holmes and maybe Tyquan Lewis. I mean, the NFL draft literally showed us that. They were day two draft picks. Would those guys have the same exact type of sack numbers that Zach Harrison had the last four years if this was their their reality or vice versa? Would Zach Harrison have had better numbers playing in that era where that reputation hadn't been built up so highly? And Sam Hubbard and Taekwon Lewis were really never asked to be the best defensive ends on their team. Yeah. Like they are always playing with the Bosa. So I think that's part of it. What if Zach Harrison played with the Bosa? I think yeah. that's reasonable. I do think maybe Sam Hubbard is more explosive, get after the passer, like Zach Harrison might be better against the run. And again, we're not we're not the real conversation here is not how good you are, it's how good you are at getting to the quarterback. And that's not mm-hmm. every part of a defensive end or defensive tackle's responsibility. Let's get into dudes. I feel like we want to run through the options here because by the end of this, the three of us are going to mark it down. Who will lead this team in sacks? We have the text to response. They're going to mark it down. So let's talk about the candidates to do that. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So looking at the PFF numbers for Ohio State from for last season, Total number of pressures, which is hurries, hits, and sacks all combined, you know, with like sometimes, no, that's right. So you get to him, you hit the guy as he's throwing it, or you just make him go early. Pressures, right? Zach Harrison had 33. JT2 Moloa had 32. Jack Sawyer had 22. Mike Hall had 16. Teron Vincent and Ty Hamilton, 15. Javante Jean-Baptiste had 14. Tyleek Williams had 10. For instance... Jack Sawyer's 22 pressures came into 169 pass rush snaps. The 33 for Zach Harrison came in 255. The 32 for JT came in 264. So Zach and JT each had about 100 more pass rush snaps than Jack Sawyer. They had 10 more pressures. So that's just to sort of 
keep in mind. And let's start the conversation, Nathan, with Jack Sawyer. Let's start with this guy who didn't have as many opportunities last year, who was dorking around with the Jack last year, but yet still tied for the team lead in sacks with Mike Hall. If you're making a case for Jack Sawyer as the team leader in sacks in 2023, what is it? Well, I think just because he has so far among the edge rushers been the most prolific sack guy that's on this roster right now. Um, when you look again, you look at start looking at some rate sacks and these are kind of these are rough numbers. But I went by the actual number of sacks they had versus what PFF credited them with past snaps played. So not just even past rush like passing snaps that they played last year uh, over the past two years. In 2021, Jack Sawyer was 2.8% and in 2022, 2.3%. Number of percentage of sacks that they got on those snaps. And JT Tumaloa never got over 1.5. So that tells you what kind of gap there has been just between those two guys as far as how often they can get to a quarterback and take him down. And some of that is the is the fact that, uh, you know, Sawyer is maybe more likely to be in in, in pass rush situations and, and whatever. But that's still a pretty significant gap. And I think that it, it just its base level, he is that kind of player. He is a can be a pass rush specialist almost as a as a as a defensive end in a way that compared to JT Tumalo, who I think is more considered an all around player, a more of a complete defensive end that fits in a defense in a different way. I would just expect I mean. If, if you're making that case, I think you're making the case based on the fact that Sawyer has demonstrated that among the things that maybe he hasn't shown he can do consistently on a football field, he gets to quarterbacks. Do you think it's a compelling case for Jack, Stephen, as a potential leader? Yeah, that's why he was a five-star, because of how he gets up to the quarterback. That's what they brought him in to do. And since Nathan's using numbers, I'm going to use some as well. PFF has a thing. It's called win percentage when you're looking at their pass rushing. and of guys who played legitimate levels of snaps, Jack Sawyer was first with 12.8% of the time he was winning against pass blocking, pass protection. Uh, Zach Harrison was 12.5 against pass pro, which is why he developed the reputation of the guy who was almost there but could never quite get there. JT only 9.3. So when, I mean, when JT gets there, we can see, we see what he does against Penn State, but he just doesn't get there as often as Jack Sawyer does. And that's because they're not the same style of, of player. I think Jack Sawyer just got used wrong last year when they should have just continued his development as a defensive end. But the pass rushing, the getting after the quarterback part wasn't the issue when he got here. He's just, it, it seems like with him, it's just lack of opportunity to do it more. Compelling case. And again, he tied for the lead last year. So he was the right answer last mm-hmm. year, along with Mike Hall. So, okay, could he be the right answer this year, maybe with even more sacks? Let's get to JT. And, and I'm going to be, honest about something here. I've had this in the back of my head every time we've talked about JT as an All-American, every time we've talked about what JT Tuimolo might be this year. Will he be a first-round pick? And and now I'm thinking, did I already say this? I think his Penn State game is actually overblown. And it's not overblown in terms of football, and it's not overblown in terms of like being a great athlete and having great instincts and watching film and realizing what's going on. He didn't destroy tackles. So he made five great plays in that game. The first play, he's unblocked. It's a screen. And they're throwing a screen right at him. So they don't block him. The left tackle, the All-American left tackle, Olufashanu, pulls. 
and they throw the screen right at him, and he jumps up in the air and tips it, and Zach Harris intercepts it. But there's no pass rush involved there. It's a great athletic play. It's a great read. Otherwise, it's not pass rush. The second big thing, he drops in coverage, and he intercepts a pass dropping in coverage. It's not a pass rush. The next one is he gets a real sack, but it's a weird pass protection, and they slide the tight end across the line of scrimmage to come over and get him, and the tight end is late, and he's almost unblocked, and he gets a sack, but it's sort of like, okay, he didn't like destroy the tackle who he was lined up against. It was a weird assignment thing that they did. They executed very poorly. So credit to him for being fast and getting after it, but it wasn't destroying tackles. Then he had the most true thing when he stripped the ball from the quarterback and forced that fumble. That one, he actually bull rushed the right tackle and drove him backwards. He actually bull rushed him so effectively, the guy like got turned around. It was a backup right tackle who had not been a full starter and was forced into action and wound up 21st in the Big Ten among tackles last year in pass blocking grade. So he beat the living snot out of a bad backup. Credit to JT, but it's not like he was doing it to Paris Johnson. And then the last one, it's the it's the second interception for him where he runs it in. They try to cut him and block him low, and he jumps over it and picks off the quarterback right in his face. But again, it's not, I destroyed a tackle. So he made five game-changing plays, and only one of them was a, I destroyed a tackle, look at my pass rush skills kind of play. The rest of it was excellent football. And you guys have dropped some numbers. I don't like JT as a candidate here, Nathan. I don't I don't think his discussion is really a pass rush, lead the team in sacks, I destroy tackles kind of discussion. It's a very good football player kind of discussion. Cam Hayward, the guy that we talk about a lot with JT Tumalowau, sacks in his career at Ohio State, 2.53, 6.5, 3.5. So I don't know, man. Like I I don't know if a JT Tumalowau All-American season includes 11 and a half sacks. Yeah, I, I- well, I, I don't know that you're going to have to get to 11 and a half sacks to lead this team either. Um, and in fact, if he gets to six and a half, like you, that came Hayward season you mentioned, then he'll absolutely be in the mix, I think. But I, I don't think his game at Penn State has necessarily been held up as a pass rushing clinic. I think it was more what you're describing, that it was this all around game, which almost made it even more unique. It was even more of a unicorn game in some ways that you were doing all of those things in so many ways, in so many places on the field. And yes, some of it was things that, that came to him and he took full advantage. Um, I would still say I would listen to an argument simply because I think what you could say is, again, a guy going into his third year who may just be the superior talent of all these guys we're talking about. And that may be uh, not that he necessarily specializes as a pass rusher, but that's going to allow him to win more and beat more people over the course of a season and get him to the number that, that finishes at the top of the list. I, I hear what you're saying, but I, I could, I would listen to the argument. What do you think, Steven? I agree with Doug. I just, I think he can be very dominant first round draft pick all American level this year. I just don't think it'll be a sack way because that's not his game. And that doesn't make him bad at it. It's just, it's like the difference between LeBron James and Stephen Curry. Right, they're both elite players, but they don't do it the exact same way. I think that, to be honest with you, the Penn State game—if 
someone would, if you'd have told me before the season that somebody did that, I, I would have said, Oh, that's the Jack fully formed. Mm. It's everywhere doing everything. And that's when I, what I think of JT Tuimolo out, even when you watch his high school film, cause he played tight end in high school, which explains why he's able to catch some of these passes. Cause, um, let Emeka tell you he had some even freakier ones in high school. I just think of JT being a guy who's everywhere. It's a guy you can drop in. It doesn't, I'm, I'm, when we will, I'll see the Jack when we see it. I'm talking about just JT at this point. You can drop him back in coverage the way defensive ends do sometimes, and he can be a problem in your pass game, pass coverage. He can get after the quarterback when he needs to get after the quarterback. He might pile up a bunch of tackles for, tackles for loss, but his game isn't designed to be a, 10, 11, 12 sack guy, because that's not what he specializes in. And it doesn't mean he won't be an All-American, but that's why I agree with Doug. I think he can be the best defensive player on this team and not lead this team in sacks or TFLs or anything. But he's the type of guy who might be second or third or fourth in every single stat across the board, because that's the way his game is designed. When you Which might be even more valuable in today's game when some of these defensive ends who may be defensive ends in these schemes, you might put them in three, four sets, and now they're outside linebackers doing a lot of this stuff. Now, I'll take the guy who destroys tackles. Like, that's the number one valuable to me still, the tackle destroyer. Chase Young, when he had four sacks against Wisconsin in 2019, destroyed tackles. It was like, I don't know, should we just take a knee? Like, we can't block him. Like, that's like... It wasn't that JT Tuimolo yeah. wasn't unblockable in that game against Penn State. He was all over the place, but he wasn't yeah. unblockable. Chase Young at his peak was unblockable. You can't run a functioning passing offense because he's in the backfield instantly, no matter who's lined up across from him. No, I think that's uh, that's a good comparison to make. That JT Tuimolo that was an exceptional performance. Like I think by any definition, incredible performance. But it didn't feel unfair that he was on the field that day. Like Chase Young felt unfair against other very, very good teams. And now we're at the Chase Young bar again. Now we're at the, oh, oh, how come you're not Chase Young? He had 16 and a half sacks. It's like, I know it's not fair. It's throwing off every conversation. All right. I'm going to do this on purpose. And we're going to start a Mike Hall conversation with Stephen Means. We're going to make Nathan <laughs> sit in the driveway in his butt. <laughs> <laughs> My call four and a half sacks last year. If you guys want to cite stats, right? We know he just didn't play quite as much. What I'm looking at is 149 pass rush snaps and 16 pressures, which was fourth on the team. I think as we noted a year ago, sometimes when he did play, they were in pass rushing situations. So he did get that kind of opportunity. But when you think about four and a half sacks a year ago for my call, Stephen, what do you think about him as a candidate to lead him in sacks this year? I mean, he just might be healthy and play a little bit more. I do need to see it a little more from Mike, though, just because Notre Dame, awesome. Arkansas State is Arkansas State, and Michigan State is okay. It's it's Michigan. That That's probably the most impressive thing, though, in terms of he played seven snaps and he had two and a half sacks and a, some TFLs. That's, it's, that's ridiculous, but also – you have to pair it with the level of opponent he was going up against in those situations. So there is a level of like, I need to see that a couple of more times against good opponents for me to really stamp it as this dude might be a problem, but it honestly could just be he's healthy and he can play more than 10, 12 snaps because he's going to be out there for basically every meaningful snap this year. So when we talk about it, Nathan, the leader last year, one of the co-leaders was a defensive tackle, my call in 
2021, the leader was a defensive hack tackle, Haskell Garrett. So if we're talking about double-digit sacks, you're probably taking a defensive tackle out of the mix to be the team leader. If you don't think we're talking double-digit sacks, then you can talk about guys like this, right? In 2020, Jonathan Cooper had three and a half and led the team, but Tommy Togiai, defensive tackle, had three against Penn State alone. So what do you think of Mike Hall's candidacy here And as you ponder him as the guy to pick? Well, it's difficult just because you're, you have to project snaps. It goes back to what I was saying before about you can't have a sack unless you're on the field for a pass attempt. And how many pass attempts will Mike Hall be on the field for this year? And it was because of the way that unfolded. And yes, there was an injury involved, but go and look at those game-by-game snap counts, and they got a little bit bouncy. And I don't know if we got a full explanation as to why that was. And now, I will say this. We talked to Larry Johnson a couple weeks ago when we talked to the whole coaching staff. And I was going back through that interview yesterday for something else I was writing. And he said, and I'm looking for the exact quote because I, I, I want to make sure I don't get this wrong. But some people, someone was asking him about how much he expects Mike Hall to be able to play. And I believe he said, we've got to get him up to more like 45 or 50 snaps. Here's the, here's, you know, <laughs> Stephen's making a face. Here's the, here's the year-by-year leader among defensive tackles for Ohio mm-hmm. State's in snaps 2022 last year, Teron Vincent, 37.6 2021 Haskell Garrett, 32.6 2020 Haskell Garrett, 38.3. That's the highest among the years that I'm talking about. And, and Jay Sean Cornell in 2019, 2807, they had kind of a five person thing there. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was mm-hmm. a lot more spread out, but like to get Mike Hall playing 45 or 50 snaps a game uh, seems like, ambitious maybe that's what they're like looking for in their in their heart of hearts I would be shocked if it got that high I think if Mike Hall plays 45 or 50 snaps a game and plays consistently the way he did last year I'm I'm gonna have to buy another bus like there's gonna be like I'm gonna there's gonna be I'm gonna be able to make a lot of money renting out that bus I I I think 45 is very ambitious, especially for a defensive tackle. I think it almost might be counterproductive because then he's going to spend the entire second half wheezing for air because we have to remember that he's fighting off double teams on some of those snaps because I understand it's nose and a three tech, but that can change depending on how they line up from snap to snap. But to the point, Mike Hall played at least 30 snaps twice, and that was against Notre Dame and Penn State. He played at least 40 snaps once against Rutgers, and he has – three other games where he played at least 20. And that was Arkansas State with 28, Wisconsin with 27, Iowa with 25. After the Penn State game, it was 18, 16, 13, 13, 16. So, and so his, even if his, let's, okay, he's a starter now. So if it goes, let's say it does go up, because I, I think we all expect it to go up if he and Ty Hamilton are the starters. They at least projected starters in our heads right now. It's probably going to be around 25 to 30 because especially now with Taiwan Malone here, they do have a bit of a four-person rotation inside of there, and they're going to be rotating those guys. So if you're playing 75 snaps a game, your starters are playing anywhere from 25 to 35, and Taiwan Malone and Tyleek Williams are playing anywhere from 20 to 30. Opportunity, man, because even uh, Jalen Carter didn't lead Georgia in snaps, and he was their best defensive player. Who was the year before that? I can't remember the – but the point is, Georgia's Jordan best Jordan yeah, Davis was Georgia's best defensive player, and he's not leading them in sacks. It's just the opportunity isn't there the same way because 
you have to rotate in there or it's actually going to be counterproductive in the second half and you're going to be letting teams gas you up the middle all day. And as you kind of alluded to before, I think it's worth mentioning that even though his sacks, or sorry, his snaps were being reduced in those later games, they were getting him on the field for pass rush situations. Yep. So for handicapping this race, that needs to be involved. When you look at total snaps for the Ohio State defensive linemen a year ago, it is interesting that JT had 504, Teron Vincent had 489, Zach Harrison had 483, but the two guys who tied for the team lead in snaps were Jack Sawyer, 329, and Mike Hall, 266. So mm-hmm. I think Zach Harrison had four, so he was like right there. But it, it wasn't the main guys. It wasn't the guys who played the most. So that is something to keep in mind here. Are there situational guys that could factor into something like this? There were a bunch of names that I threw at the texters. Beyond JT Tuimoloau, Jack Sawyer, and Mike Hall, I also threw in Caden Curry and Kenyatta Jackson as young defensive ends. I threw in Tyleek Williams and Taiwan Malone as other defensive tackles. And I threw in Tommy Eichenberg as a blitzing linebacker. I don't know, hmm. Nathan. Like, is is it is Tommy Eichenberg or somebody? I mean, I didn't put Sonny Styles. I didn't put Lathan Ransom as a weapon. I don't know. Is there is there somebody that's not a defensive lineman that's worth talking about in the conversation like this? Well, yes, because of the context of Ohio State sack numbers now for several years. If you're not going to get above three and a half, four, four and a half sacks as your leader, then I think that opens it up for just about anybody. Maybe not just about anybody. Maybe it's going to be hard to get that out of the secondary, but certainly Tommy Eichenberg, I think, would be in the conversation at that point. Just because over the course of, I don't know, 14 games, if you only have to get four, four and a half, something like that, uh, that's that's certainly, I think, within his reach and a really good season. I don't know, man. They sent Denzel Burke on a cornerback blitz the very first yeah. play of Jim Knowles' career oh, yeah, here. But, but, uh, yeah, Ryan, but, Ryan, I know. Well, number but one, Ryan he didn't Turner get attacked also- there. He didn't get there. Ryan Turner did get there for a sack later on in the season on a quarterback blitz too. Right. So uh, it's, I'm it's, just saying. All you got to do is get four quarterback blitzes and get there. You're in the leader. But, no, I, it's going to be hard for a second. If you have a 100% guy. ratio at getting home, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you that's, get that's four of yes. No, not even that. If you if he, if he they quarterback blitz 30 times, all you got to do is get home for four of them, and you get your four sacks. But I, I don't know. Maybe the Jack, maybe Mitchell Melton or the – ever elusive CJ Hicks at that position. Maybe it takes off in a way that we're not thinking about right now. And that guy gets five, five and a half, six this year, just because it's fully blossomed because the guys Jim knows once actually playing it or playing it now. And actually well, John Baptiste, Javante John Baptiste had, I think three and a half last year in like a partial backup Jack role. I do think like if the Jack is used at all is an interesting conversation. If somebody could get in there, and, and do that to some degree. I well, will say I, I would with also- the Javante thing real quick, Javante had a lot of like half sacks in games where he was part of somebody else's sacks, but that's a good way to start racking them up. I'm thinking you think of a guy like Kenyatta Jackson, and what if he's just there at the same time JT or Jack is there multiple times and you have three half sacks in a game per week? That's one and a half sacks per week. And after a while, that starts pile up as well. And I think that's, that's honestly what was happening in 2019 with everybody not named Chase Young a lot of the times. This Chase was so dominant, but he didn't get every single sack by himself. There would be times where B.B. Landers or Davon Hamilton or a healthy Tyreek Smith would be in there with him and they'd get a half sack in those situations. 
Yeah, the, the single biggest sack season for anybody that we've talked about so far or that, that is on this team this fall is the five that Tyke Williams had in 2021. So I don't know that that <laughs> – this isn't really a fun way to have this conversation, but if you were telling me that a second-team guy backdoors the sack lead, yeah. that wouldn't shock me either, that if somebody just gets back there, especially when you start talking about the guys who are going to be in that position being potentially guys like Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry, who seem like they are – legitimate players who just might have enough legitimate players in front of them that they have to take a decent number of second team set uh, snaps four and a half for Mike Hall and Jack Sawyer last year four for JT Tuimolo wow three and a half for Zach Harrison and Javante Jean-Baptiste and two and a half for Tommy Eichenberg I, I didn't put Mitchell Melton in the mix for the texters I thought I put an other spot, but now it's not showing up. If, if is how reasonable is that Steven? Like is Mitchell Melton, at least a guy is like, is this a great dark horse? Hey, I got Mitchell Melton at 30 to one to lead Ohio state in sacks. If you could do that. I'm going to take that bet. It's not a bad bet. It's hard. Cause we just like, haven't seen him at all in his career here. So you're really taking a swing. And then now it's in a position that you're intrigued by because it's part of the reason Jim Knowles was a defensive coordinator. He was at Oklahoma State, but it's we even in the in the spring game last year where you felt like there were some times to see him flash. He got hurt so early in that game that we just haven't seen it. So we don't even know what Mitchell Melton's raw talent. If we're talking about a five star recruit playing that position, maybe the hype is a little bit more there. But this is a guy who was in the 200s to mid 300s who's been hurt his entire career here. So we don't even know what his raw athletic skill is right now. And now we're asking a question of this new position that really didn't work out last year combined with a guy who we here really haven't seen in his four years now that he's been at Ohio State to throw out there. Maybe he leads this team in sacks is. That's something that you need. You have to scoff at right now and just be okay that you're wrong about it if it actually happens. We haven't seen him, but the coaches have. I mean, what Knowles has seen from him, which is also sort of limited, he obviously loved it. Like, he, he's excited about yeah. when he'll finally get to use this guy. Larry Johnson, again, a couple weeks ago, talking in much the same way that they've talked about Mitchell Melton going back to 2020, that he was flashing things in practice. He talked about him being, he thinks, maybe an elite. Uh, pass rusher, having pass rush skills, but having, you know, going beyond that to, to some of the other things he can do. Um, but he just has to get on the field. So it, it that's the toughest thing for him, even more so than my call, obviously, is how much will he play? And especially if, if he does come back healthy enough that he takes over that Jack niche, there's also probably not a lot of confidence right now after what happened last year that that position would be super productive from a pass rush standpoint. All right, last break. When we come back, we're going to mark it down on Buckeye Talk. So, guys, part of, part of the conversation here is the number of sacks. How many sacks will the Ohio State leader have this season? I sent this out to the texters. Ten or more, seven to nine, or six or fewer. Steven, what do you think the texters said would be the OSU sack leader number? Seven or more. Seven to nine. Uh, Nathan, what do yeah, you seven say? To seven to nine, ten or more, or six or fewer? That was going to be my guess, too. The people who tend to be optimistic, and especially based on Ohio State's history, but recent history would push it down a little bit. So seven to nine got 67%, but the two edges, ten or more, got 26%. Six or fewer hmm. got 8%. So six or fewer was the right answer the past two years in full seasons. 
man, if they get, if they have a 10 sack guy, let like it's on. <laughs> like uh, that's, that yeah. is, if they have a I, 10 sack guy, JT has blossomed as a pass rusher. If they have a 10 well, sack guy, exactly. Jack Sawyer is here. If they have a 10 sack guy, my call is baby Aaron Donald. If they have mm-hmm. a 10 sack guy, one of the young defensive ends is a third down monster. If they have a 10 sack guy, Nathan, all is right in Buckeyeville. Absolutely. Because listen, you can take it. Just think of it from a st- st- statistical standpoint. Mike, uh, JT Tumaloa, Jack Sawyer, Mike Hall play X number of pass snaps this year. They will get X number of sacks. Like they, It'll just be a baseline thing. They will get a certain number of snaps. When you start talking about getting 10 sacks, even in a 14-game season, 15-game season, that's guys going out and, and, and getting it. Those are guys who are surpassing the expectation. Those are guys who are creating plays that wouldn't ordinarily be there. That's how you get that eighth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth sack. I think that, again, just anecdotally, we've seen that the past few years because that element has been palpably missing, and those numbers haven't been there. Ten sack guys solve so much both for yep. both sides of the ball because, I mean, they're going to play some decent quarterbacks this year, at least on paper coming into the season. If the ten, whether it's JT, Jack, Mike Hall, Kenyatta Jackson, Talik Williams, whoever it is, is has te- is a ten sack type of guy. That's messing up whatever the other team's offense is trying to do, which is in then taking pressure off a of first year starting quarterback, which is um, which was not the case in twenty twenty one when CJ took over. CJ had to be awesome. From day one, and when he wasn't, they lost to Oregon, and it, they almost they were Minnesota got to keep up for a long time in that game. Tulsa got to keep up a lot longer than they should have. You have you throw a ten sack guy in there, so all of a sudden, teams that in the past have been scoring twenty one plus or scoring thirteen for an all, and now you're taking the pressure off a quarterback who's already in an offense kind of designed to get at least thirty five every week. That just raises the ceiling on what's possible for this team. I think the biggest issue is not breaking down under control. They get back there and they just run over the player with they're almost out of control. That's from the nine three seven. There's some technique stuff here of, <laughs> and it is right. We've we've talked a lot about like being close and not getting it done. There are I think some specifics about like what do you do when you have a chance for a sack that maybe they could be better at. Um, that was from the nine three seven from Andrew in the three three zero. This year's sack leader is so hard to pick. You could easily make a chase for JT. Jack Sawyer, Mike Hall, without looking crazy. I sort of feel like all these defensive linemen will just be racing to the quarterbacks with many of them getting good numbers. I could see something like JT having eight and a half, Mike Hall and Jack getting seven and a half, and Tyleek having five and a half. That could be a very scary looking group. Each as individuals have shown flashes of one-on-one pass rush skill. This is Jack from Peoria in the 309. My prediction is that sacks will be up as a result of the secondary play. That's what we talked about. I'm really, really encouraged by what I am hearing about the corners and safeties. I think the coverage and discussion about the silver bullets the last few years has been the pass rush has hurt the secondary because they are not providing adequate pressure and guys are having to cover for longer. I think the inverse is true this year. I think these corners and safeties lock people down better and longer, and we see an increase in coverage sacks as well. From the 609, that was one of the easier surveys. That's that's true. I've been doing some homework surveys that are very difficult. (laughs) From the 937, I think Sawyer will lead the team, but I think both he and JT will be in double digits. That would be holy moly, holy moly. Um, Scott in Charleston, Ohio State must get home this year on the pass rush to win big. Sacks are drive killers. Sacks on first and second down set up young artist situations, unput play callers in a bind. 
sacks on third and fourth down and drives. Imagine if Zach Harrison had gotten to Stetson Bennett. That's going to be that's going to linger. Mm. The nine three seven. I think Jack Sawyer will lead the team in sacks due to JT commanding more attention and the defensive tackles collapsing the pocket and flushing quarterbacks out. In my uh, humble opinion, sacks will be up this year because the entire defense will be better. That's from the 804. That's Steven Richmond. JT may be double teamed at times, allowing others like Sawyer and Hall to be very effective. Let's hope. Let's mark it down. Nathan, who will lead Ohio State in sacks this season and with how many? So I'm basing this in part on a belief that JT Tumaloao and Jack Sawyer both will separate a little bit that this will be a year for those third year guys to um, play the lion's share of those snaps. And I know Larry Johnson is going to still do his rotation, but expecting them to separate and not necessarily get into a thing where they're not where, where Kenyatta Jackson and and Caden Curry, even if they're good, start taking their snaps away, that there's still kind of these two Kings of the, of the defensive end room there. So I'm going to take Jack Sawyer to lead this team with seven sacks. So seven is not crazy. Was there any part of you, Nathan, that wanted to go higher on your number once you settled in on Jack as your guy? No. I mean, that's still averaging. If you're going over a 14-game season, that's averaging half a sack per game. I think these guys, I mean, if we get to December and somebody has 10, I'm certainly not going to be shocked by it. I think there's guys on this team that have that capacity. I think there's three maybe guys on this team, maybe only two, maybe it's not JT. Um, but I think Jack Sawyer and and Mike Hall, if there's just an abundance of snaps there, those guys can start flirting with really impressive numbers. But I, I just going by what we've seen from them so far, even trying to project them up a notch, uh, I can't quite get there. I think, but, but half a sack per game over the course of a season, and especially considering, I mean, we've said before, this isn't like, the easiest schedule. It's not necessarily easy to get a bunch of sacks against Notre Dame and Wisconsin and Penn State and Michigan, the two-time uh, defending winner of the Joe Moore Award. I mean, there's there's some decent offensive lines they're going to have to face this year too. So I think seven is a pretty healthy number. I will say, I think there's almost an inverse effect that you could potentially apply to this season that Notre Dame and Sam Hartman, Wisconsin with Tanner Mordecai, Penn State with Drew Aller. There might be more competent quarterbacks who can make plays, which encourages them to hang in the pocket and try to take Mm -hmm. a shot down the field and not just play, ah, get the ball out of here, comes Ohio State. Because I do think, Stephen, when when you were making that point earlier, I, I had this in my head, I don't think I said it. It's almost like maybe teams are playing a Chase Young game plan when Ohio State Mm -hmm. doesn't have Chase Young talent, and that the Mm -hmm. result is, oh, no, here comes Zach Harrison, get rid of the ball. And it's like, well, I don't know, you might have had a little bit. It's not Chase Young, but the result is these good players. That's that's what you were saying. The good players are being treated like they're great, and the result is they never get home. But those three offenses I just mentioned might be more difficult tests, but it might mean that Ohio State gets – three sacks in that game, but also gives up a couple big plays because Sam Hartman's like, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to hang in and make a play. Drew Aller didn't go to Penn State to get the ball out of his hand in half a second and throw little dump offs to running backs. He's there to try to make throws. So maybe you hang in. So I do think maybe the cycle of better quarterback play might actually increase the sacks for Ohio State is an interesting thing to maybe think about unless I'm just up my own butt with sack analysis now. Steven. Who's going to lead Ohio State and Saxon with how many? It's almost like the Justin Fields thing. Justin Fields is awesome. Yeah. Justin Fields also got sacked a lot. 
<laughs> you know, you know what I mean? I love it. <laughs> to, you know, it, it, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not saying it like it's a problem. I'm just saying, and you take the good. You don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Justin's baby with the bathwater was, hey, I might do something awesome, but hey, I also might lose this eight yards because I'm too busy looking downfield trying to do something awesome. And especially with Aller, I'm very interested and intrigued to watch him the first couple of weeks and find out what type of quarterback he is. If he's the type of playmaking quarterback where Yurcich and Franklin might have to live with some bad sacks. And because of that reason, I said Jack Sawyer with nine and a half. I think they Jack messed up Sawyer Jack Sawyer. Nine and a half. Yeah, I think they messed him up last year. And I think now that he gets to be a defensive end with – and they don't get unlimited snaps, but he's going to get starter snaps. He's going to play meaningful snaps alongside JT. I The rest of it stuff, the plan, the running, all that stuff, i am still got some questions about all that stuff. But I don't have any questions about him as a pass rusher. Because even – go back and watch that Penn State game. He was kind of awesome too. He just wasn't getting home. But that's probably because he was spending 50% of his week learning Jack stuff. What if instead he was spending 100% of his time doing defensive end stuff? Would he have had a quality Penn State game as well? Or, you know, he start, it started to click against Iowa, and then it really clicked against Indiana, but both of those offenses stink. But I saw enough flashes for a dude who wasn't getting opportunities last year to feel like if you just let him do this, he's going to be really good at it. So combination of – Better off passing attacks, which means – well, more I'll say more sophisticated. I won't say better yet because you have to see that. More sophisticated, which means more opportunities to get after the passer, makes with a guy who's just getting more opportunities to do the thing that you recruited him to do. I think he can have a bit of a breakout year this year. And I don't know – I don't think he's a three-and-done player, but I do think he can have the type of season that makes him think about it. If they get into a world where JT really is like a Cam Hayward type of guy and he is just blowing stuff up and you can't run at his, on his mm-hmm. side of the field and he is getting tackles for loss and you've got to double team him every snack. And then on the opposite side, Jack is taking the mantle of the next great Ohio State pass rusher. And it doesn't mean he has to be Chase Young. It doesn't mean he has to be a Bosa. But he's he's in this kind of realm. I, I mean, I think both you guys, Nathan, cited some of the raw, like the, the percentages and the pass rush numbers that it makes sense to me that Jack is the choice here because it's just, it's the it's the knowledge we have of let Jack be Jack by not playing the Jack. Let him be a defensive end and do this. And also when he did do that with fewer snaps than JT and Zach a year ago, we never really got the Jack and Zach sack attack. So it's the Jack, no longer the Jack sack attack. It's an NIL deal unto himself. Hi, I'm Jack Sawyer. I'm no longer a Jack, which means the sack attack is back. Jack there's Sawyer, a lot of there's a lot of, I mean, I'm, you know, come on. I got a little slim shady in me. Okay. There's, <laughs> there's a lot, very you have, little. I have seen you wear a very hoodie. Little. There, I do, I do. And uh, there, there's a lot, I feel like the, both the, Sort of the anecdotal evidence of the way Jim Knowles has talked about Jack Sawyer and just what we know, and then the statistical evidence, Nathan, I think a lot of it leads you to Jack Sawyer when we're having a sack discussion. Yeah, and even the number that I came up with, so I had like a whole like numbers that I threw together that as as if they're they're predictive in some way. Like coming up with some complicated formulas, and that was what got me to my Jack Sawyer number. But I really should have probably adjusted up a little bit because I think Steven might be right that 
Jack Sawyer uh, clear-headed just back to his natural spot and unleashed, could the, the performance could ratchet up even more. So again, he, he has already proven himself to be among the defensive ends on this team. He's the one who has had the best pass rush performance in the first two years of his career. And I think there's, it's reasonable to believe not only that that would continue, but that he'll do it even better than he did those two years. So among the texters, no real support for Taiwan Malone, Caden Curry, Tyleek Williams, or Tommy Eichenberg. 3% of the vote for Kenyatta Jackson. 9% of the vote for Mike Hall. 37% of the vote for Jack Sawyer. And 50% of the vote for JT Tuomolowau to lead Ohio State in sacks. So the texters are marking it down with JT, and I have an announcement to make. I've crashed my buses for a couple years in a row. One hit a tree, one drove off a cliff, one just caught fire. And so I'm excited. I got I I got a new bus. And I'm excited about it. And I'm going to partially unveil it here. This is a test drive. Because I'm going to pick Kenyatta Jackson, Toledo, Ohio State, and Sachs with seven. And this is, I'm going to give him about three and a half in I'm destroying backups in garbage time mode. And I'm going to give him about three and a half in, holy moly, he's good. We've got to play him on third down some, and he'll get some that really matter mode. And this is acknowledging no giant number for anybody else. If I'm saying Kenyatta Jackson seven, maybe I say Jack Sawyer six and JT five and Mike Hall five. But I just think maybe he's the next great Ohio State pass rusher. And maybe we get a version of it this year in a third down role. I don't know what their third down package is going to be. And then, and by the way, maybe I'll, I'll just do it now. I'll predict that Kenyatta Jackson has double digit sacks in 2024. But could their third down package, Stephen, be something like Jack Sawyer and Kenyatta Jackson on the edge and JT and Mike Hall inside? Thought about it. Ask somebody about it. It's still open. Obviously, because, you know, that room likes to keep everything close to the vest. But I will say that that idea has been on the table for a while. Because if you remember, JT was classified as a defensive tackle for most of his high school career. And why was he able to get on the field, even if he showed up on like July 26th, like a week and a half before fall camp? Because he was just physically already built and ready to do that. And so... And then if you look at some of the jack snaps some of the times, depending on what side the jack was on, Mike Hall would be on the edge and either Zach Harrison or JT Tuimaloa would be in t- inside. And now it, yep. it just means that now you're going up against a guard, but that, he's done it before. So I, they did it with Zach last year. They moved him inside and they had JT and Jack on the outside. I definitely could see that. But I could also see the inverse. I could see Kenyatta Jackson being on the interior in a in – a, in a uh, in a rushman situation, but I do think right now in my head, in some world, in whatever, however you line it up, those are your four guys for the rushman package. Maybe Caden Curry as well, but more than likely those are the four guys. And you've got two of those guys in JT Tuomaloa and Kenyatta Jackson who can both play inside and out in that situation. I do think sometimes you put you move the older guy who's been around and can handle that yeah. better. And I do think yeah. Kenyatta Jackson is just an edge bender, as I've talked about before here. I think JT's more physical inside. Mm-hmm. I went Kenyatta Jackson on the edge. And by the way, when you mentioned earlier, I held myself back because I didn't want to jump the gun on scooping myself. I don't think Kenyatta Jackson's getting anybody's like secondhand sacks. I think he's making 
sacks. I think I think he is a I don't think he is a did I play 50 awesome snaps as a second year guy against Notre Dame? Maybe not. I think he might be a, a I played 25 snaps against Notre Dame and on 3 of the 25 I destroyed the tackle and on one of them I got a sack. That's mm. my math a little bit, Nathan. Does this feel crazy for Kenyatta Jackson or could you see it? Oh, I don't think it's crazy. I, it, it's a little bit bold just because uh, he had really no role last year and you're trying to project off of things that we saw this spring. And there were some other factors this spring that played into why he looked so good at times. And they're they're, they're trying to find a middle ground on that. Um, but no, I, I think there's also, listen, I, I said early on that I could, he was the one that was most likely to me of all these defensive linemen to maybe do a Mike Hall thing this year, which is, have a very, very limited, like barely get on the field role your first year, get a little PO'd about that, get better, grow, and come out the second year, and now people are a little bit scared about you in practice. Where, you know, again, this they start just it, it goes back to what the players will tell you about guys. And the players were going up to the other coaches at Ohio State and saying, We can't block my call. Like what's going on here? And maybe they'll stay if they start talking about Kenyatta Jackson Jackson that same way. I, 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 as much as I think Ohio State does absolutely need to get to that standpoint, I know that we've had this discussion before, and there, there is a middle ground that you can play at where now you've got four guys who are all getting like seven sacks, and you don't have the guy. You maybe still don't have like a top ten guy in the Big Ten or whatever, almost. But you're mm. getting now it's getting so frequent from so many places from front line guys that uh, you can you start to get some of that impact. I, I. I think that is maybe within reach for this team. Um, and I think that the singular guy breaking through is in reach too. There's, It's an intriguing group because there's just a lot of candidates here. I think there's a lot of possibilities on the table for what this group could do. I don't think you're wrong. I do think there's a world where it's a by committee thing. I also think we've been saying that for three years now. That yeah. Maybe it's by committee. But even with even yeah, when it committee, is by, everybody has, th- everybody you know has three and a half. By you committee. That's the point I was making. Like, it's like I don't care how many Scottie Pippins you have; they don't they don't equal up to Michael Jordan. And even when they were by committee in fifteen, sixteen, and seventeen, the reason they were by committee in fifteen is because everybody decided that Joey Bosa was not going to get sacks. Cool, everybody else gets sacks. The reason they were by committee in sixteen and seventeen is because Nick Bosa is so awesome that you have to pay him attention. Cool, Sam Hubbard, Jalen Holmes, Tyquan Lewis. Hey, Taekwon, go win Big Ten Defensive Lineman of the Year because everybody's so worried about this kid. Even in 19, when other guys are getting them, it's it's not even about whether or not the superstar gets the actual sack. It's about how that superstar makes the offensive coordinator feel. Where I don't care. That's what even with Clemson and Wisconsin, the second the second time around the Big Ten Championship game, the Michigan game, Chase Young didn't have any sacks in those games. But the defensive line was just as effective because those offensive coordinators decided two is not killing us. Make somebody else kill us, and the other guy showed up. So even with this by committee thing, somebody needs to show the first couple of weeks, whether it's Jack Sawyer, JT Tuimaloa, or Kenyatta Jackson, or Michael, somebody has to show an offensive coordinator that they have to make an offensive coordinator decide that that's not going to be the guy. Even if you beat us, he's not going to be the reason why, because that just feels like it's typical. 
make somebody else beat us. And that's what's going to allow maybe the second line guys to have the type of season where we're looking at it at the end of the year and it's three or four guys with seven sacks. But if there's no superstar, neither of those, whether it's one guy with 16 and a half sacks or four guys with seven and a half sacks, that's not, that's not on the table unless there's a superstar. All right. We marked it down. It's a Monday. That's what we do. We'll drop some more over the course of this off season. Make sure you guys are reading clean.com slash OSU. Try the text at 614-350-3315. For now, for Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.